This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss with Dr. Jim Rickards, Senior Medical Director of Moda Health in Portland, Oregon, his recently published book, Our Health Plan, Community-Governed Healthcare That Works. Dr. Rickards, welcome to the program. Thanks. Great to be here. Dr. Rickards' bio is posted, of course, on the podcast website. Briefly on background, under the Oregon Health Authority, the state created Coordinated Care Organizations, or CCOs, in 2012 via a federal Medicaid 1115 waiver. Oregon has managed its Medicaid program under an 1115 waiver since 1994. The waiver allows state's Medicaid program flexibility to test new financing and delivery models. Under their five-year 2011 waiver, the state was required to keep Medicaid spending growth to less than 3.4% per year. The state's 16 CCOs are regional or community-based providers that are team-based, providing comprehensive care that is population-focused and sensitive to healthcare disparities. The CCOs provide care for approximately 1 million Medicaid patients in the state. Oregon CCOs receive capitated monthly payments less 4.25% or approximately $180 million in 2016, and that withhold is used to incent superior quality performance. In 2016, seven of the 16 state CCOs earned 100% of their quality pool dollars, including the CCO Yamhill Community Care. Yamhill County also received an additional $8 million in so-called challenge pool dollars. With me again to discuss Oregon's CCO program, namely Yam Hill County CCO, is Dr. Jim Rickards. So, Dr. Rickards, with that as background, let me start by asking about uh, this county. Can you briefly describe uh, the characteristics of the county? In Hill County, where I uh, used to practice as a radiologist in a community hospital, is a rural county. It's close to Portland, Oregon. It's really agricultural, uh, a lot of wineries are in the, the county, a lot of vineyards. Um, there's a significant Hispanic population. Um, there, there's, it's, it's, there's some economic development largely focused around, around the wineries and some logging. But other than that, there's, there's not a lot of industry in the county. There's not a lot of uh, tech businesses, um, not many very large employers other than the hospitals or the county government. Okay, thank you. So when uh, the Yamal County CCO began, it received uh, upfront funding, and you discussed this in the beginning of your book. What was that money used to do? Yeah, so when the state was standing up these CCOs back in 2011-2012, the state was faced with this large budget deficit. Basically, we needed to create a new way to deliver Medicaid benefits in the state. And, and our approach was to deliver these new community-governed health care plans called CCOs, or Coordinated Care Organizations. And essentially, we had some 
you know, uh, state legislation that mandated the creation of these, but really it was the local communities that came together and put forth the applications to form CCOs. So in my community, we formed a 501c3. A number of different community leaders were at the table, including representatives from the county government, public health department, myself. I was actively practicing provider. I was part of the local IPA, the hospital systems. We came together, we put an application, and we were awarded the ability to run a CCO for about 25,000 Medicaid members. But to get these CCOs off the ground, you need some funding. So some of that initial funding you asked for, we really used to support a lot of so-called transformational programs in the community. We realized that if we were going to deliver Medicaid benefits differently in a coordinated fashion, we also needed to support some new types of programs to help support the Medicaid population that had never been there. So. Under the, the CCO organization, we were able to support a number of novel programs. You know, one I'd highlight is a community paramedicine program. There's a fire department in the area that had uh, ambulances and paramedics, some extra bandwidth. And what we realized was that uh, our Medicaid members were using the emergency department at a very high rate, and they were using it for really low acuity or, or, or not very emergent situations. And a lot of these folks weren't getting in to see primary care providers for a variety of reasons. So what we decided to do was to partner with the paramedics and pay them to do non-emergent visits uh, in, in the homes of the Medicaid members to be more proactive than reactive. And essentially the way it worked was after a Medicaid member would have gone to the emergency department or was discharged from the hospital, a paramedic from the local fire department could go out to that individual's home, do things like a safety check, make sure that they're their living environment was safe and secure. They could do medication reconciliation. Oftentimes, these individuals had been in this, to the emergency department and had been discharged with a variety of different medications. Nobody was really managing these. The paramedics could go in there and just help bring some order to all these various medications. They could also help uh, individuals learn how to use different medical devices, help them with their home oxygen even do things like lab draws. So the individual, you know, oftentimes the Medicaid members are challenged with transportation. They wouldn't have to go back in to the hospital or, or uh, travel to see their provider, but they could have a lab drawn in the house. And so this paramedicine program really resulted in decreased emergency department utilization, increased engagement with primary care providers by the Medicaid members, and, and decreased hospitalizations and in turn cost savings. That's just one example of, you know, how we use some of those transformational funds to start some of these programs. Then what we saw was that when these programs were in place, they created some cost savings, and then we could take those those dollars that we didn't need to spend then on medical care and put them back into the system to continue to support those original programs, but then also pay for additional programs to help support population health in, in different ways. So we started to create this virtuous cycle based on getting some of those initial transformation funds in. Okay, thank you. I was going to actually ask a specific question on your community paramedicine program, but it does relate to my next question. That is just generally, uh, the CCO works to improve care coordination. You know, using uh, or involving, um, of course, oral health is included in the CCO care model. Behavioralists, you know, community health workers. Um, could you speak more uh, uh, substantively about orchestrating uh, this care coordination. Yeah, so maybe step back and talk a little bit first about what really drew me to the CCO model, how I started to get involved in this, and then how it actually became implemented. So 
I'm a radiologist by training. I'm a physician who interprets medical imaging studies. Basically, I look at a picture like a CT scan, and I turn that picture into words, and then other providers or patients use those words in the form of a report to, you know, help with their diagnosis and treatment. Well, I was practicing in this small community hospital, and I've been in practice for about eight years, and really enjoyed the practice, but I was becoming frustrated because I was getting to know my patients too well. And you might be taken aback and say, well, wait a minute, you're a doctor. Don't you want right. to know your patients? And right. I, would, I would say, well, yeah, if you're a primary care physician, OBGYN, pediatrician, you should know everything there is to know about your patients. But if you're a radiologist and the way you practice medicine is with high-cost imaging exams, which actually can expose people to radiation and lead to increased risk of cancer down the line, you start to question things. If you see the same studies on the same individuals, you know, week after week after week, most of the time because they're coming through the emergency department. And I started to really question, you know, what is the true value of care I'm delivering? I started thinking, you know, can't we do anything about this? And a lot of times these studies were on the individuals we call frequent flyers when they come to the emergency department. And, and often these individuals are coming to the emergency department because they have an issue with their health, but maybe it's not medical in nature. So if we think about what goes into making us healthy, medical care only makes up about 10% of determining our overall health. The rest of our health is determined by things like our behaviors, our socioeconomic status, our access to transportation, our peer group, our level of education, etc. So more than 90% of our health is impacted by things other than medical care, but often when people have a problem with their health, they seek medical care, and that's why they're coming to the emergency department, and that's why they're coming to see me. And so here I was challenged doing everything I could to interpret exams correctly. My peers in the emergency department were doing everything they could uh, do to stabilize the patient and discharge them. But the fact was what was making these individuals unhealthy was not the need for medical care. So we could deliver the best medical care possible, but they're going to still be unhealthy because they have issues with the behavioral aspects of life, the socioeconomic aspects. And it was challenging and frustrating me because I didn't have a way to impact all these other determinants of health. Now, it wasn't because I was just sitting in a dark room talking to myself as a radiologist, but the fact was there was little that my other colleagues and other aspects of medicine could do. And the interesting thing with this is my wife happened to be a social worker in town, and she was seeing a number of the same individuals that I was seeing, but we weren't connecting professionally around them. We would talk about the dinner table, about so-and-so who was back in the emergency department or how many CTs we'd done on this individual, but we didn't have one common mission and vision for what a healthy community or population would should look like. We didn't have a global budget for us to, you know, share financial risks, manage costs together. We didn't have a common set of metrics for us all to work together, all different types of healthcare providers, not just medical providers, but the social workers such as my wife or behaviorists or people in public health or dental care providers. We didn't have a platform for unified community governance of healthcare resources. There is no place where my wife and I and others in the community providing quote, healthcare services, like dental care or behavioral health care, to come to, together and work on ways to develop programs and strategies and solutions to, to improve the health of, of the Medicaid members. That was something that was just fundamentally lacking. And so we were paying for a lot of care for individuals. You know, we're paying for social work care. We're paying for medical care. We're paying for dental benefits. But the payment wasn't aligned. It wasn't coordinated. It was done by disparate organizations that oftentimes were competing. And so... 
what we really needed was a way to come together to coordinate, to collaborate, and organize payment and delivery. And so when I heard about the state's vision to develop these CTOs, these community-governed health care plans, whereby the state would not just pay to one organization uh, the medical care costs, but also the behavioral health and dental care costs, as well as for other services like non-emergency medical transportation, to put all those those payments, the one budget under one roof, one umbrella, to bring all these different parts of the healthcare system together in a single organization, just made incredible sense to me. And so I, you know, helped work with other leaders in my community to form the CCO. And uh, as I mentioned, applied and we were, we were selected to be one. And so the way that this practically played out, where we would come together and, and manage the total healthcare of individuals, works in several ways. You know, one at the, at the board level. The state legislation lays out and makes it very clear that the boards of these CCOs need to be comprised of individuals from various aspects of the, quote, healthcare community, not just the, the medical uh, community, but all of healthcare. So the boards have to have an actively practicing family practice provider, a behavioral health provider, a local uh, county rep, uh, elected county official, representatives from local public health department, uh, representatives from local hospitals. Um, so what we see just in the board composition is leadership from across the whole healthcare spectrum, you know, guiding and governing these organizations. And then underneath that, there's two other significant governing arms, the clinical advisory panel, which is made up of all types of providers from the community, not just physicians, but also the social workers, the dentists, the nurses, the naturopaths, the chiropractors, people from early learning, as a matter of fact work on the clinical advisory panel. And then CCOs also have a community advisory council, a governing arm made up of Medicaid members and their family members who are able to bring the real-world challenges that they experience as, as health care plan recipients um, to, to the governance structure to work on opportunities to help identify problems and then implement solutions. Um, so, so the governance structure of the CCOs, you know, supports this model to deliver truly coordinated benefits, and then that plays out in the way that the contracting is done and with the development of the provider network as well. Thank you. Thank you for noting the Community Advisory Council and on education. I noted in the book as well. You discuss or note a kindergarten readiness program that's a part of the county's uh, CCO. Let me ask about uh, one component and that's the HIT component. You make reference to Oregon and Washington having a health information exchange called EDI. I have to say I have a decent understanding of uh, HIEs and they've been very difficult in implementing and it looks like uh, your state along with your neighboring state are down the road on this. How helpful has been the HIE uh, to you in pulling this all off? Yeah, so I'd love to say that, you know, data is a four-letter word, and oftentimes that word is not good. Um, we're fortunate in the state uh, that we have ED, the Emergency Department Information Exchange Platform. All of our hospitals are on this platform along with those in Washington State. And uh, essentially what the platform does is it aggregates all the data from emergency department visits into one common place. So if you're seen in the emergency department in Portland, but then go down to Salem, to the emergency department in Salem, they can pull up uh, your information in, in Edie or Eddie and see, you know, what were you seen for, when were you seen, what medications were you prescribed. But not only can other emergency departments uh, access that information, but primary care clinics and also the CTOs can access that information. So this is really important because 
know, the CCO as a payer is going to help on the, the delivery side. They need access to that information. So, so the ED platform is just one way we can access, you know, clinical-level data on members. And so, so what does this mean, or how is this beneficial in a practical sense? Well, with the CCO, we had a program called the Community Hub, the team of three bilingual, bicultural community health workers. And every day, essentially, they would get a feed that would show them the uh, the CCO members who had been seen in the emergency department the day before. And they could see, you know, why they went to the emergency department, what what the level of acuity was, why they went there. So, you know, we can we can measure the, the, the level of a, of a visit on a one through five scale. If something's a five in the emergency department, that's very severe, and people likely need to go to the emergency department. But if, if the level of acuity is like a one, then, you know, maybe it's just a cough or something that probably could have been dealt with that are in the outpatient setting. So the hub workers can see these, this information. And for those folks that are that have acuity levels of one, two, or three that maybe didn't need to go to the emergency department, the hub worker can then go look at other information and see, well, have they ever engaged a primary care provider? Do they have a relationship with a primary care provider? Or, or were there other family members seen in the emergency department? And, and so this is a place where they can get this information that can alert them to individuals who may need some outreach. And then the community hub workers can call those individuals and say, you know, why, why were you in the emergency department? Do you need some additional services? One of the early success stories I heard from this was about a father who, in the course of one week, had taken his five-year-old son to the emergency department three times for a fever. Well, it turns out that the child never had a fever each time he went to the emergency department and basically left the emergency department without any medical diagnosis. The hub worker was able to identify this and then call the father. Well, it turns out that the father was home alone caring for the child and the mother had had to go out of town for some reason. And the father didn't know where the thermometer was. He, he didn't know how to, to take the temperature. And, you know, basically he spent most of his time working and he had, you know, very limited uh, knowledge of, of how to parent. And, and that when, so when his five-year-old son became fussy and cranky, he thought the child was sick. So he did what was right in his mind, which was taking the emergency department. Well, our hub worker was able to identify this you know, get the, the father connected to the primary care provider, get them a thermometer, and then teach them, you know, when is it appropriate to go to the emergency department, uh, show them that, you know, there's also primary care services available, that, that those might be a better option in the future to access. And so, you know, as a result of that, uh, that, that one intervention, we were able to, you know, decrease or basically eliminate future emergency department visits with that one individual. Uh, but that's just an example of, that all started because we had an eddy information uh, ready at hand for someone that was able to act on it and then outreach to a member and, and make some improvements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you. Let me go to or ask about the CCO model has a set of quality measures against which all uh, participants are have to perform, and that's the basis of their reward. Your CCO looks, uh, I looked at um, the health authorities. 2016 study, it looks like Yamal County did uh, comparatively very well. What explains success relative to quality metrics? Yeah, so the quality metrics are, are a very important part of the CCO model. They're, they're there to really try to help move us away from just volume-based care to value-based care. So the CCOs are, are paid a, a capitated global budget for their membership, but a portion of the dollars they receive are held out 
and paid to the CCO if the CCO meets these quality metrics. And you know, most of the quality metrics are, are very clinical in nature, things like doing colon cancer screening on a certain percent of the population, ensuring that high blood pressure is managed correctly, that we're doing adolescent well care visits on, on individuals when appropriate. So the, the thing is, though, these, these metrics or the performance on these metrics, the work is actually performed by the provider community, not the CTO themselves. So if the CCO as an entity is going to meet the targets and receive the payments for meeting these metrics, they need to then go out to the provider community and say, hey, look, guys, I know you're delivering great care, but it turns out that if we're going to get paid by the state, we got to do the colon cancer screen and depression screening. So can you work on that with us? And and in turn, we will build a performance-based contract to enable you to receive payment for doing the work in these very specific areas that you've asked about. But not only will you know the CCO pay the performance-based payments, to help get there, the CCOs need to do a lot of kind of upfront work or investment to support the primary care clinics to help meet those metrics. So they need to share data with them. They need to foster the development of novel programs such as behavioral health integration into primary care clinics, which means basically helping to hire primary care providers to work side-by-side our primary care clinics. So in Yamhill, because this was such a, a grassroots community effort and there was such involvement from the local community, there, there was a lot of interest in, in meeting these metrics, but then also a lot of interest on the part of providers and working with the CCO to accept resources you know, like doing behavioral health integration, like receiving data, to then uh, help the providers work to meet these metrics to help the CCO get paid financial incentive dollars. Okay, thank you. And I'm looking at the chart. It looks like uh, your CCO was the outstanding performer last year in not a trivial issue, and that's controlling high blood pressure. I have to ask, and this is, I realize, a generic question, um, what's your sense relative to spillover effect, uh, these providers see patients that are not, or in addition to Medicaid covered, um, what's, what's your sense of, to the extent that it's generally improved care uh, throughout the healthcare system, not just for this subpopulation? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, what we're seeing is, is a so-called halo effect in a lot of our primary care clinics. You know, really Medicaid has been the driver to improve quality and access and of care and lower costs in the state. We're now seeing that translate to uh, patients from other payer groups, so Medicare and commercial populations. And so, you know, very specifically on that one uh, piece of work that the, the CCO model has really supported is the development of a a high-functioning primary care delivery system. And the main way it's done that is to foster and encourage the recognition of the primary care clinics and its network as certified medical homes. So in the state of Oregon, we have a medical home recognition program called the PCPCH program, the Patient-Centered Primary Care Home Program. Well, one of the metrics that the CCO is paid on is essentially the percent of its population that are enrolled at a recognized PCPCH. So it's in the interest of the CCO to ensure that all the primary care or as many primary care providers as possible in its network are PCPCH certified because if it has a network of certified PCPCHs, then more of their members will be seen at a certified PCPCH and it'll meet the metric. So the CCOs have done a lot to, you know, help primary care clinics become recognized. They've 
you know, pay for primary care institutes to, you know, facilitate teaching and education of the staff, even helping to complete education or, or completion of applications, and then developing payment models to actually pay these um, certified PCPCHs more if they do obtain certification. Well, well, as a result of these efforts, we now have a very large number, over 60% of all of our primary care clinics in the state recognized as a PCPCH. And as you noted, these clinics, they're not just seeing Medicaid members, right? They're seeing the commercial and the Medicare members. Mm -hmm. So then the question becomes, well, how does a PCPCH recognized clinic improve care or decrease costs? Well, about a year and a half ago now, Portland State University did a really robust study of our PCPCH program to see is it delivering better health outcomes, is it lowering costs. And one of the key takeaways uh, from this three-year study was this um, number, a 13-to-1 ROI. And essentially what that means is that for every dollar spent on care in a recognized PCPCH or certified medical home, $13 were saved elsewhere in the system from either decreased hospital admission, decreased emergency department utilization, decreased imaging, laboratory, specialty care, et cetera. So the CCOs, by virtue of the fact that they have supported the recognition of our primary care homes as PCPCHs, that has decreased costs and improved access to high-quality care for all members of, this, for all of our state's population. Thank you. My, my last question is, the CCO model has received a good deal of attention nationally. Uh, there's a fair amount of literature, a good deal of research interest in your state's work. And my last question is, what would you advise uh, a Medicaid program in another state relative to your experience? Specifically, how might they get started uh, down this path? Yeah, well, I think you know, first thing to do is just to learn about what we've done here in Oregon, but then also look at other models. So there's there's other efforts across the nation to, to try to transform care and increase uh, care collaboration. So we have a number of ACOs in the U.S., accountable care mm -hmm. organizations. I, I would recommend that other states look closely at those. I think the ACOs are, are good, but they're primarily medically focused. You know, these are institutions run by uh, primarily hospitals and providers. And, and while they do have, you know, provider physician governance or input, I, I think that they could go further like our CCOs do because, you know, it's my understanding they don't necessarily include county public health. They don't include necessarily uh, social workers or social service entities, early childhood learning, um, dental care services, behavioral health services. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, seeing how the, the CCO model includes all these other services, even non-emergency medical transportation, while at, at first might seem, you know, too big in scope and, 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 you know, unmanageable, you really need to have all these different parts of the healthcare system that deliver the full 100% of what determines our health, not just the 10% medical care. You really need to have all of that come together and work together to, to see the outcomes that we've been able to see here in Oregon. You know, you're absolutely correct. In fact, ACOs, you accurately described, and there's now a version which tries to uh, appreciate your point. And interestingly, their, their acronym is TACO, Total Accountable Care Organizations, uh, again reflecting the fact that they need to do more than medical care and provide uh, generally social service supports. So, Dr. Ricketts, we're at our uh, time boundary. I want to say thank you for this exceptional overview 
of a very successful program, a county program, one of 16 CCOs uh, in your state. Genuinely are very appreciative. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.